up, y'all, and welcome to the Jack Vita Show. I'm your host, Jack Vita, and we have something awesome in store for you today. Today, right now, is April 16th, 2020, and a month ago, even longer than that, six weeks ago, end of February, I began an MLB preview series. I was very pumped up for baseball season to start, still am. I still think we are going to get a season. So I began recording an MLB preview series where we would cover each division. However, after recording the fourth episode, we became aware that there wasn't going to be sports for at least a little while. So we held back and I decided, all right, I'll finish this as we get closer to Major League Baseball season. We'll get there. We will get there. And I believe it. We will get baseball played this year. Mark my words. Everything's going to be cool. But I, I decided, let, let's hold off. I still, I did record an NL East preview episode that has been on my hard drive for the last month. And today, I actually had a listener contact me and say, hey, when's that NL East preview coming out? I've been waiting for it for a very long time. I really want to hear it. I think it'd be great content, even though we don't have baseball being played. And I thought, that's a great idea. Let's get this episode out now. And we can get the NL Central and the NL West out at some point eventually. That We'll figure that out. We'll get you that. But let's get you this for the time being. I will say, however, we again, we recorded this episode. What I'm about to bring you into is something we recorded in early... March, we had no idea that the coronavirus was going to keep us from seeing baseball season. We had no idea that there would likely be a shortened season, that games wouldn't be starting until late May, early June. We didn't know any of that. So we were all operating under the assumption that there would be baseball being played at the end of March. So a little bit of our conversation is going might sound a little silly, but considering the context, I want you all to know, again, we recorded this a month ago. We didn't know any of this stuff was coming. So I now present you with my conversation with Jordan Morandini about the National League East. I hope you all enjoy. I've got Jordan Morandini joining me. We're moving over to the National League. We finished up the American League. And we're going to start with a very intriguing National League East. How are you doing, Jordan? Jack, I'm good. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, the National League East, uh, always the most fun division to cover, right? <laughs> it's NL East, NL Central, those two. Yeah, of course, of course, yeah. <laughs> so much fun. National League in general is just better than the American League. We don't have the designated hitter. It's, it's great. National League Baseball. Yeah, nothing like seeing our pitchers go for four every day. day <laughs> no, I'm with I'm with you though. The National League easily the better of the two. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> the division that is always just so interesting every year. Last year, the Braves had the fourth highest odds to win the division. What they do? They almost won a hundred games. Yeah, the Braves were a bit of a shocking story last year, Jack. I can't remember specifically, but I don't think did did either of us have them winning the division a year ago are you serious right now come uh, on 
<laughs> Did you have them winning yes. the division a year ago? <laughs> so just a, su- a subtle little brag there. I don't recall who I... I had probably went Washington, I think. No. No, I didn't. I went to Bills. <laughs> I had to see if you remembered. <laughs> but I do think I do think I had Washington as a wild card team. So even though I did miss on the division winner, I did hit on the wild card. And Jack, as we saw in the playoffs, the better of the two teams. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, for sure. But we can't ignore the the whiff that you had on the Phillies. That is very fair. I uh, I overestimated both potentially their talent and their uh, s- some of their uh, staff potentially. Well, I'm curious, Jordan, before we start going team by team, I know you have a lot of the odds shark stuff pulled up for over under win totals. I do. Could you quickly take me through where all these teams sit? I'm curious to see how they're projected and who is favored out of this group. Yeah, you mentioned this was a division that is pretty wide open. Um and by the looks of these win totals, it does seem that way, Jack. The Braves at 90 and a half. Last year, they won 97 games, so well below what they won a year ago. Uh, the Nationals, who won 93 games a year ago at 89 and a half. So with the Red, they lose Rendon there. Um, but that was the one kind of major loss. They were able to re-sign Strasburg. So they, they're 89 and a half. And then let's see. I'm actually intrigued to see... Who at three and four here? Okay, the Mets at 86 and a half. Ooh, that's a little high. And a year ago, they won 86. So. They did. But they had the rookie of the year, and DeGrom was the Cy Young as well, correct? Yes. Okay, so they, uh, there it is. The Phillies at 85 and a half. So Odd Sharks has four teams in this division, Jack, winning 85 or more games. Wow. So And Phil's won 81 a year ago. Um, so, so some very crucial additions there, <laughs> and oh, the Marlins, sure. the Miami Marlins, who won 57 a year ago, are at 64 and a half. So very big, uh, big difference from the fourth and fifth team in this division in terms of odd shark projections. Absolutely, that that's a uh, very wide ranging division with those those four very top. Well, I wouldn't even say top heavy. You got four teams all looking to be quite good this year and one that is improving. I think I think the Marlins are starting to make some ground towards being a contender. It's going to take a few years, but the talent they've been stockpiling and accumulating is slowly making its way to the big leagues. Yeah, I would agree with that. And Jack, do you just want to open up with the Marlins now that we kind of kind of led into that? Absolutely. Let's do it. Yeah, so I think this is I think this is a good opportunity to jump right in on the Marlins. Um, I'm 100% with you. Again, I don't love their everyday nine or everyday eight, I should say, <laughs> but I do really like a lot of their young arms. Um, I, their uh, starting rotation to me is one that I think is going to keep them in a lot of games. Sandy Alcantara, uh, Caleb Smith, Jordan Yamamoto, and then uh, Jose Urena. They have a lot of good young talent, Jack. And in, in terms of these young arms, we kind of started to see them produce at the major league level a year ago. Um, Al- Alcantara had under a four ERA. Caleb Smith's been a guy for them for a while. Um, he didn't have a great year last year, but he was kind of promising back in 2018. So it'll be interesting to see if he can kind of get back to form. He had a good first half last year, yeah, if I recall. Kind of fell apart. 
And then, again, these are a lot of young arms, so you don't necessarily expect them to come up and dominate. But Yamamoto and Urena at the bottom of that rotation as well. While their numbers weren't great a year ago, they did have some promising outings here and there. Um, So I think that, to be honest, I think their starting rotation is one to definitely be on the lookout for. I don't love the makeup, like I said, of this everyday lineup. Uh, Jorge Alfaro is a guy who actually came from the Phillies. Uh, Catcher who hits for solid power good average but not great defensively uh jack in the offseason they're a couple they made a couple additions they signed Corey dickerson who was a philly like a year ago and they acquired jonathan villar um who is a pretty strong bat pretty good everyday bat to add to the lineup um so i at 64 and a half i'm not sure i would go much over that um <laughs> just because i do think the other four teams in the division are good um, and I'm not sure how much better this team really got from a year ago. Um, but I think it's a good number. I think they improve maybe a little bit and get to 62, 63 wins. Uh, maybe the rotation is a little bit better than it was. I'll give you my win total in a little bit. I will mention a couple of these guys that you mentioned. Corey Dickerson, Jonathan VR, Jesus Aguilar, another intriguing pickup. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think... All three of those guys are prime candidates for them to flip at the deadline to continue this rebuild. So I liked all three of those additions. I'm curious to see what Lewis Brinson does this year. If you recall, he was the centerpiece of that Christian Yelich trade a couple years ago. And that trade has not turned out great for the Marlins yet. So he's an interesting guy to keep an eye on. Yeah, he's a guy who, since being called up to the majors, has kind of struggled mightily. Yeah. Um, so we'll be, yeah, I'm with you there. It will be really interesting to see if he can turn it around. You made a good point with those three guys too. Uh, I would agree with that a hundred percent. You, that's probably the hope in Marlins land this off season <laughs> or the spring training is maybe Aguilar has a really nice, powerful first half and you're able to deal him and grab a prospect or two. Um, but those are the exact type of contracts that look like those guys are on. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting bunch. I really love the Corey Dickerson ad. I th- believe he he signed a one year deal and it was only around three million dollars, four million dollars, and that's a guy quietly a steady three hundred bat and a Gold Glove defensive player. I think he I'm I was surprised that he signed with the Marlins because I think he could contribute on a team that really needs him like. Maybe the Cubs. <laughs> well, and you have to, I think that probably the big question with him, and it kind of has been with him for the past couple of seasons, is his health. Um, I, he hasn't played 162. Last year, he was banged up really the majority of the season. He only played 78 games. So he's a great player when he's healthy. Um, but the, pro- the the big question with him is, can he stay healthy? And that's going to be really important for the Marlins if they're looking to deal him at the deadline. All right, so you said, was it 62 and a half? Uh, it was 64 and a half. I'm going to go slightly under. I'll go 63. Yeah, I'm going to go under as well. They won 57 last year, and it'll be fun to talk about the rest of the National League as we go through these teams, but my short list, there aren't too many horrible teams in the National League. I mainly, a couple that come to mind, not to spoil what we have coming up, the Pirates and the Giants are a couple others who I think are going to be in that category of potentially losing 100. Someone's going to have to do it in this league, and I have every indication to believe that the Marlins will do it once again. 
<laughs> and with 63 wins, Jack, that means I have them slightly under the 100 loss total there. 99. <laughs> I will go 61 wins. All right, so just over. Fair enough. Definitely fair enough. All right, we got the Marlins out of the way, just like that. <laughs> Easy enough. <laughs> Let's talk about the Mets, shall we? Let's do it. It's another one. This is a team that would probably be my fourth favorite team in this division. They, There's a lot to like about their pitching staff, obviously, with Jacob deGrom and Noah Syndergaard, but Syndergaard has had some injury issues. Stroman came over at the deadline last year. Didn't pitch particularly well, but he's only going to need to be a number three in this situation. Uh, So he should be good. They lost Zach Wheeler, though. I think that's a tough loss because they've had so much depth in their pitching staff. Counting on Rick Porcello and Steven Matz in the four and five spots. Be interesting to see how that shakes out for them. Yeah, and the Mets are always <laughs> checked. Doesn't it seem like this is always the toughest team to judge in this division? <laughs> yes, <laughs> because it, the past like three years, you always look. You were looking at that staff, and you're like, "Well, shoot, they might be a favorite to win this division." Or you know, they, this is a playoff team, and at times, in the majority of the time, they seem to disappoint you um, yes. <laughs> in some way, and shape, or form. I never have totally bought in. You know, I'm always uh, met critic it seems uh, yeah that April. is fair that is fair um but yeah you mentioned a couple of key names i do think the wheeler loss definitely hurts um i mean it's been a rotation where you've looked at it the past couple of years year in year out and you're like oh my gosh there's four guys here that can you know go out and win 10 15 games um it's a different staff now with but i you know i still love the addition of marcus stroman it was one that was kind of ridiculed at the time that the deal occurred a little bit because it's like, what are the Mets doing? Because it, it was the entire trade deadline, it was they might trade Syndergaard, they might trade Syndergaard, and then they're the ones that make the deal to go get a yeah. big arm in Stroman. <laughs> but now you look at it and you're like, wait a second, is this like a new window opened up for the Mets with adding Stroman and losing Wheeler? I don't see it as that, but I do see this team as kind of right around where they were last year. Not a bad baseball team by any means but just not good enough to get to the postseason. They kind of had a breakout year a year ago from Jeff McNeil. He's been a really nice bat that's kind of turned into something really nice for them. Um, and along with that, uh, Pete Alonso. I mean, we have to talk about him. Uh, the yeah, rookie of the polar year. Bear. Yeah, the rookie of the year a year ago. I think it's a bit, the big question for me is can he replicate that power Do with more tape are some of these pitchers able to do a better job against him than they did a year ago? Or, you know, with a full major league offseason, does Alonzo take it to new heights? I think that's definitely something to look out for and very crucial um, for this ball club. Another, I mean, we have to mention another name. Jonas Cespedes is supposedly potentially going to be ready for opening day. Uh, We will see about Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And he's somebody who I don't think Mets fans or really anybody is expecting a ton from because uh, obviously he's been banged up the past two seasons. Um, but that kind of adds a little bit of an intrigue to them as well, Jack, because they don't necessarily need him to be that big power guy anymore with Alonzo there now. Um, so it would be interesting to see a, a healthy Cespedes, as, you know, later in an order, if he hits fifth, sixth, that adds another element to an offense. Um, I'm not necessarily counting on it, but I do think it's worth noting. <laughs> um, I mean, this is a guy who got injured last year when he fell off his horse. 
<laughs> What's he doing? It's I mean, like, it's like I something you would expect from Bumgarner or something along those <laughs> lines. Like, like you would expect that as the report that comes out. <laughs> well, I, yeah, yes, I would say. But I also, it's something that I'm not shocked by if it were to come from a guy like Cespedes or Puig. That's just very uh, random. Kind of, kind of on brand. I would agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I think this team, I think they have a clear ceiling in my opinion. Um, yeah, it's I think not very high. No, I don't think their ceiling is very high, but I, I would also go on the other side of things. I don't think their floor is very low either. I think this is anywhere from an, ugh, 80 to an 85 win team around there. So solid, you know, a, a good season, but not good enough to get into the postseason. Uh, their over under was 86 and a half. I'm going to go slightly under that. I'll go 84. There are a couple other things with this Mets team that are important to note. Number one, they won 86 games last year, yep. and then they fired Mickey Calloway, <laughs> which is interesting to me because, I, in my opinion, I think that 86 wins was overachieving in, in terms of a win total. Yeah, I would agree with that. I. And I, heading into last, uh, yes, but then the Stroman deal, that kind of adds another element to it. Because it feels like, when you make a deal like that, it feels like you're going for it, no? Yeah, but they it was they were an up-and-down team down the stretch. I mean, I don't know. I guess the thing is that Callaway only got two years, and mm-hmm. I don't really know what the Mets are expecting, if they're expecting some form of greatness to just show up with the roster that they have, and... So I thought Callaway got a raw deal. He was out after two years. And then it's it's interesting to note what else happened this offseason. They bring in Carlos Beltran. They stick with him in the short term, despite all the stuff that's coming out. Then the reports turn out to be that Beltran is the mastermind behind this entire Astros <laughs> operation. They have to back away from that. They bring in Luis Rojas. It seems to me, in this type of situation, we'll talk a little bit about what the Phillies did this offseason, and I like what they did a lot this offseason, but if you're a team like the Mets, I feel like the move that you need to make when you make a public relations mistake such as the Beltran one is to go out and get a veteran manager that has more credibility to his name. Yeah, I I think that is a a fair assessment kind of maybe like are you talking like a dusty baker type manager you know somebody yeah who you think you can bring in yeah exactly Buck Showalter, uh, dusty baker y- yeah somebody along those lines i would agree with that um a hundred percent and I, I think that may would have made a lot of sense to me i, I think it would it would have been interesting it almost sucked happen because i thought beltron was kind of an intriguing hire yeah um because he's one of those guys he's kind of a wild card you don't necessarily know what you're getting but Sometimes those managers work out really well. Also wanted to know, Jack, you talked about him. Uh, sorry, who was their who was their manager last season? Mickey Calloway. M- Mickey Cat. You talked about Mickey Calloway getting the two year, you know, t- very tough deal. Jack, that's the league now. <laughs> it is. is. The, that is the league now. Oh, the amount of managers that get very very short sticks in this league now. Uh, it's almost ridiculous. But I, I'm I'm with you. It seemed like. It, it did seem like after 86 wins, it was probably worth potentially bringing him back for at least one more season. Um, but yeah, I, I it almost frustrated me that the, with the whole Beltron thing, because I do think that would have been kind of that would have been an intriguing storyline heading into this year. 
I'm just the the new hire just doesn't intrigue me necessarily. As no, much. we don't know anything about Luis Rojas. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> which might be exactly what the Mets want in this it could scenario. Be. Yeah, it seems that it's just strange because the new trend is these front office guys want to bring in their own guy, a guy with little experience that appears to be a yes man that's not going to push back on the front office. And I understand that when you are the Dodgers. I know that that's been talked about in terms of Dave Roberts, not totally making every decision. A lot of the decisions coming from the front office, but they're the, they're the Dodgers. They've drafted better than anybody over the last decade. What are the, I mean, Brody Van Wagenen, he was a, he was an agent just a couple years ago and now he's the GM and he thinks he can just have a yes man. The Mets are dysfunction every year, Jordan. I'm never going to totally buy in until I see something just cleaned up a little more. And this was not a very good offseason. I guess it was a messy offseason. It wasn't a horrible offseason, but it was a messy one. A messy offseason kind of defines the Mets, <laughs> Jack, <laughs> in a way. Um, definitely worth noting, you touched on him a little bit. I think they're the best free agent mover, really the only kind of decently major free agent move that this team made this offseason was the addition of Rick Porcillo. Yeah. Um, so he's going to be in that rotation. You expect Matt's to be at the back end of that rotation too, like you mentioned. But yeah, all of a sudden, kind of for the first time in a while, that four and five for the Mets is a uh, it's a bit of a question. Yeah, it is a question. Also, the the problem they've had over the last few years when with the dominant pitching staff is an inability to score enough runs. They do have Pete now. He's the best bat that they've had over the last five years or so, other than maybe Daniel Murphy and that stretch he had with the Mets for a short bit. But there's some. they need more production out of guys like Robbie Cano. Robbie Cano really disappointed last year, and that just might be what Robbie Cano is now. Well, yeah, I think that's the big question is how much does Cano truly have left in the tank and how many games is is he going to be able to give you because he's missed over 50 games each of the past two seasons. Um, you mentioned Cano as a guy who I, you think needs to produce at, at a level like that. I would touch on the outfielders a little bit apart yeah. from Cespedes. You know, Conforto was kind of a high base prospect who they thought was going to be kind of a, a potential star for them. He's never really evolved into that. Yeah, He's been solid out there, but not great. And the same for Brandon Nemo as well. Uh, so th- apart from Cespedes, and Nemo had a really bad season last year when he was healthy and did play. Those are two of their three starting outfielders. And Jack, the other one's Jonas Cespedes. <laughs> so, they, so they're going to need something out of that outfield offensively. Um, because, again, this staff is not as good as it's been the past couple of years. So it's definitely something to look out for. I think there's a lot of question marks with this team. Yeah, um, and maybe uh, maybe too many question marks for me for me to potentially pick the over on the win total. <laughs> I like Brandon Nimmo still. I think he could still turn out to be a good player. He had a rough year last year, but I like what I saw out of him a couple years ago. He's a good on base percentage type potential leadoff option for them. Another guy they need more production out of past these position players is Edwin Diaz. They acquired him in that Robbie Cano deal, and he struggled mightily last year. Yes, he did. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he did. And that, Jack, again, that's just another question mark. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess what we like, we like Pete, we like the front end of this pitching staff, and we like a couple of these other guys like Jeff McNeil. Wilson Ramos, another one. 
Yeah, Wilson Ramos, yep, another guy who can can produce with a bat, good bat uh, for a catcher. So there are things to like about this team, but nothing to get overly excited about. The dysfunction scares me off. Can you remind me what that over-under was again? Was it 85 and a half? Yeah, I think the, o- the only upside on this team, Jack, is if they sneak into the playoffs, somebody's going to have to beat DeGrom, Cindergaard, Stroman. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but somehow, someway sneak in. The over-under, the, last year they won 86. The over-under this year is 86 and a half. I just don't see that happening, especially with an improved Phillies team. Thank you, Jack. <laughs> that is exactly what we want to hear. <laughs> an improved Phillies team is going to potentially take that spot where last year Phillies won 81 games. Let's swap them. Let's say the Mets are the 81 and 81 team. Wow, so you're going heavily on That's five and a half wins there. Uh, I will go slightly under. I think they're one game over 500. I'll go 83. Okay. I, I could see them being anywhere between, I'd say, 78 and 84, slightly above, slightly below 500. So I'll just okay. average that out at 500. Okay. Like they're probably, if I were to pick one team, who is the most average team in the National League? I think I'd say the Mets. <laughs> the most average. You, and, and would you ever think you're saying that about a team with DeGrom, Syndergaard, Stroman? The most average <laughs> no. team in the NL. <laughs> I think that speaks volumes to how you think their everyday aid is. <laughs> Would you agree? Is there is there another oh, team that comes to mind? Um, average. Yeah. Um. Let me. No, no, no I don't know. <laughs> like maybe the Rockies or somebody along those lines, but yeah, I don't know. Not yeah. They the Mets are right there. <laughs> yeah. I think average, I think right around 500, and I had him at 83 wins. So, <laughs> yeah. There All right. Is. Let's talk about the Phillies now. We've made it to this point. It seems like we're kind of working our way upward. And I'm not saying I, I haven't decided if I like the Phillies as the second team in this division or the third team. So, you have a, an opportunity to sell me, Jordan. There's a lot to like about what this team did this winter, though. Jack, I think it was a fantastic offseason. Really, overall, um, I liked pretty much everything they did. Um, and probably the move I have to believe you enjoyed the most was the firing of Gabe Kapler and the addition of your boy, <laughs> Joe Girardi, <laughs> which I have to admit, I am heavily on board. When the, the move came that they were firing Kapler, he was the guy I wanted them to go get. And I think is a fantastic, fantastic fit for not only this team and the way that where they're at right now, um, but the city of Philadelphia too, I think he's a fantastic guy for that. Um, so that was the big addition, but then the, the Phils just decided they weren't done spending money last, last, last off season wasn't <laughs> enough. Um, so they went out and grabbed Zach Wheeler, who to be fair, this team needed a clear number two behind Aaron Nola. Um, they needed another arm finally. And Jack, we talked about this last year um on this exact podcast i was like this is the third year in a row we're going to see zach afflin vince velasquez nick pavetta at three four five <laughs> this rotation yeah. we did not quadruple down jack we tripled down a year ago we did not quadruple down they make the move for zach wheeler love the move love the addition for zach wheeler had to go get somebody um and i think he's just he's not going to be an ace he's not an ace to make it clear um but i do really like him as a number two guy in a rotation um so I think that was a fantastic signing. And then, Jack, the other one, which was – I'm not going to lie. I didn't really expect this. Um, I thought they may go different ways, maybe uh, 
beef up the bullpen a little bit with the, the money they ended up spending here. But they signed Didi Gregorius, who I think is an interesting signing. One, because you kind of had you had Gene Segura playing shortstop and you had Scott Kingery kind of floating all over the place. And it felt like now that Cesar Hernandez was finally out of the infield and he'd been a stapled Philly for the past four years, five years, maybe even six, seven you thought maybe that once he's gone, Kingry was going to head to second base. You have your shortstop in Segura, and maybe they go get a Donaldson or something like that to fill third base. I thought this was a really interesting signing. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on it as well. Um, just because this is the type, this move pushes Gene Segura to third base. He's not a third baseman. Um, can he play there? He's looked solid so far in spring training, but it's definitely going to take some getting used to. I do like that he's playing third and Kingery is playing his natural position at second. But I think that was an interesting signing um, just because it wasn't necessarily a need. They didn't need a shortstop, in my opinion. I, I thought potentially a Donaldson on a really short deal or some a short deal with heavy money um, potentially might have been a bit better fit. But I do think it it looks nice now, and I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on the Gregorius signing, because uh, I do I talk I at least talk myself into it. I'll say that <laughs> <laughs> I really like the Gregorius signing, and there's so much that we have to talk about with this team. I think a big meat of our podcast is going to be right here in the middle talking about this Phillies team. It's not just because you're here, Jordan. It's because of what they did this off season. I like Gregorius a lot. And one thing that I want to bring up relating to D.D. Gregorius and his manager, Joe Girardi, one of the big criticisms that sort of spilled out from the Yankees fan base, the Yankees front office, Brian Cashman, had to provide some form of explanation as to why they let Joe Girardi go. In my opinion, I thought it was a power struggle and they wanted to sort of go with that format of bringing in a, a rookie manager with no real coaching experience that we just talked about with the Mets and Girardi being a guy who you would have to fight on stuff. You might not agree with everything that the front office wants to do. Well, one of the the ways they verbalized this was they said that the young players, Girardi had difficulty connecting to the young players and they weren't performing or developing the way that they were hoping that they would under Girardi, which totally is just bogus in my opinion in a couple ways number one Girardi wanted Judge from spring training I mean he put Judge on the big league roster at the end of spring training when Cashman was trying to trade him all offseason was Judge do almost wins the MVP that's number one I think you saw that a lot of those young players played very well under Joe Girardi number two that they they may not have liked or respected him well why did dd gregorius follow him all the way to philadelphia explain that to me jordan very interesting point jack i think you're (laughs) i think you're onto something here so i i don't really i don't buy into any of that i mean and you look at the numbers what did dd do he was an all-star starlin castro was an all-star those guys played great starlin castro maybe had his best year when he was playing for joe girardi i think he does a great job of connecting with young players. And we can talk about Girardi a little more here in a second if that if this feeds into that. But I I love the DD signing. I think DD on a one year deal 
Mm-hmm. It's a prove it contract. If it doesn't work out, you don't you're not locked into anything long term. But this is a type of move that the Atlanta Braves love to do. Mm-hmm. We'll talk more about them. Yes, we and will. <laughs> it works out fairly well. And there's really again, there's no real way that you can end up losing those type of one year deals. Yeah, and I think that that's probably my fit. That was my favorite part of the deal right off the get go. Um, and it's the kind of this, when I touched on the Donaldson thing, that was the exact same type of deal that I thought they would try and sign Donaldson to. And obviously Donaldson got a lot more money. So it makes sense. He went where he went. He wasn't going to take two straight yeah, one year. Exactly, exactly. At age 36 or whatever. <laughs> what he did last year. Um, but yeah, I think, I think the one year 14, you touched on it. No risk. And Jack, you touched on the relationship. That's been something that, between uh, Gregorius and Girardi. That's been something that was very much talked about in Philly media for part of the reason I think why Gregorius ended up here uh, or ended up in Philly. So I do think, yeah, there was, there was a clear connection there and whether that was a really crucial piece of getting him to Philly. um, In my opinion, I think it did play a big role and you touched on his ability to, to work with young guys, Jack, there's still some very promising young bats in this Phillies lineup. Um, so I'm gonna, who have potentially maybe not reached their potential <laughs> and I think fans would agree there. Um, so I think it, yeah, it's going to be really interesting seeing how he works with some of these guys, um, and seeing how they potentially improve, uh, this upcoming season. And he was able to blend working with veterans with guys like A-Rod and Jeter and Hideki Matsui and young players too, like the, the Castros and the, uh, Gregorius's and Glaber Torres and all those type of guys. Yeah, and it's been, I mean, it's been all positive news out of Philly spring training um, towards Girardi and the way he's been working this spring training from Harper to Real Muto uh, to even, you know, Hoskins, some of those younger guys. Everything has been positive. So I do, oh, I, Jack, I love the hire of Joe Girardi. <laughs> I think it's going to do wonders. And I think if you look across the board and, Correct me if, if you don't agree here. I think it's the biggest improvement from manager to manager in the league this season. Absolutely. Yep. Totally agree. We we mentioned probably the second place one going from Brad Osmus to Joe Madden. Mm-hmm. Another really good upgrade. Although I was I was saying I don't know if it's the best situation for Madden in general with the Angels and all the veterans that they have and just the team that I a team a roster that doesn't really excite me. This roster, I see more upside with. I think this is a better roster. I also, I I think this is a huge improvement. You're going from a guy who didn't know how to make a pitching change in one of his first weekends as a manager to a guy who won a World Series with a group similar to this one, high expectations, big contracts, veteran players, and young players collectively. Yeah, and I think it, I think you touched on some great points there, but it's it's a team ready to win uh, on paper. It's a team ready to win. Um, you and I think this is important to know. Uh, the Phils, they you sign this Bryce Harper deal to keep the. It's obviously a very extended window, the way you look at it. But when you have prime Bryce Harper on this deal, those are the years you need to take. Obviously, go all in, and that's really what the Phils have done these past two off seasons. Not just with the Bryce deal. But, you know, you make the McCutcheon signing last year. Now you go out and get Gregorius and Wheeler. It's clear the Phils are trying to win right now. Um, And with Harper heading into these prime seasons, I think it's exactly the right move. So you look at just on paper, 
you add Zach Wheeler, you add Joe Girardi, you add Didi Gregorius, you make that big upgrade in terms of manager. Last year they win 81 games. How many wins do you think just adding those three pieces add to this club? Because I think it adds at least six. Well, and here's another note, Jack, that you didn't mention. McCutcheon tore his ACL very early oh, last yes. season. And he's yes. back in mid-April. He's expected to be back in mid-April. That is a monster piece for this team as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'd be lying if I don't say I think there's at least eight wins there. Yeah, I yeah, could totally see that. There's a lot to that. like. A lot to like, and, and let's touch on some of the question marks here b- before we, <laughs> yeah, for sure, get, get to it. Um, so I mean, the the clear question marks are there's center field is still a question. It's kind of been a question because um, when McCutcheon comes back, he's not expected to play center. He'll be left in left. Um, he was playing left J- last year, right? Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was playing left. But the, with the whole Odubel Herrera thing that happened a year ago. Yeah. They have a young guy in Adam Hazley and a young guy in Roman Quinn have kind of been battling it out in spring training to potentially play there. Um, but it's going to be really interesting. You know, neither of those guys have really had much, much success in the majors. So center field is a question, and it's something. They have a really nice third base prospect, Jack, um, and Alec Bohm, who's rated yeah. high on the prospect. He's like 30 or yeah, 31. Yeah, and he's having a really good spring. He's somebody to look out for for maybe a decently early call-up. And then maybe you see a guy like Kingery go out there and Segura head to second or something along those lines because of King. Segura King. could get shopped. That is another thing I was going to talk about is the the, the potential of that. Um, uh, weaknesses on this team, I think three, four, five in the rotation is is a clear question. Um, Jake Arrieta, he was banged up last year but did not have a good season for the Phils. Zach Eflin and Vince Velasquez are expected to take the four and five spots. Um, Jordan, and again, question. The, yep. I'm going to stop you there. Yep. More likely to break out in 2020. Uh-oh. Vince Velasquez or Ian Happ? <laughs> <laughs> Jack, neither of those guys are breaking out in 2020. <laughs> it's just the same thing every year with it those is, guys. It is, isn't it? Um, and to be fair, there is the question. I think Velasquez and Pavetta are both kind of battling for that fifth spot. So there is a chance you see Pavetta to get some starts in that spot as well. Um but those three, Jack, that's a question mark. You know, how much, what is Arietta going to give you? And then after that, these are the same guys who Phillies fans have watched for the past four seasons, and they've just never really given us much. So um, that is the one question, like one big, big question mark I have. Uh, I know a lot of Phillies fans along with that, um, they're worried about the bullpen, and I think it's fair. Uh, last year, they were devoured by injuries, this pen was. Um you're set to have your top two guys in Hector Neris and Sir Anthony Dominguez, who had some elbow issues. It was put, there was a worry that he was going to have to have Tommy John, but it looks like he's okay. Uh, he avoided that. And he's been throwing a bit this spring. Um, but with the top two guys back, it's not my biggest of worries because I think a lot of times you can find guys to fill innings uh, in there, whether, you know, whether Pavetta's in that pen, you still have Adam Morgan and Alvarez, some of the Tommy Hunter's back somehow, some way. They actually added Francisco Liriano to that pen. Um, but it, the pen is, it's not an elite bullpen by any means, Jack. I don't think it's one of the worst in the L, but I don't think it's great either. Um, so, you know, one big injury there, and it could potentially be a very weak pen there. Uh, so the pit, I think really what the worry with this team is the pitching. Yeah, and I, I think it's I think it's a legitimate worry, to be honest. I think that is really the big thing that's holding them back, especially in this division 
when with we, so many good arms. Yeah, we just talked about the Mets. We haven't even talked about the Braves or the Nationals. The Nationals be my favorite of these pitching staffs easily. I mean, they won the World Series for a reason. They did. <laughs> but I do like I you I just want to go back uh for a second. I would give Adam Hazley a shot in center, start the year, see what you got in that guy. I think he could be good. He could be one of those guys, one of those young players that flourishes under Joe Girardi. And one other thing in terms of how we could see this team getting better from last year, let's just say Bryce Harper is 20% better than he was last year. That makes a huge difference. That's a really nice boost. That's a really... Really? really significant boost. I mean, think about it. He drove in. A, he hit 35 homers and drove in 114 runs last year. Yeah. And and I th- another quickly on Bryce, I having that full off season now in Philadelphia. Yeah, where you know where you're going. You don't yeah, just show up in the middle. Worried, of, you're not worried about where yeah. am I going to sign. He had a full off season in Philly. You add Joe Girardi as well, who I think is a better fit. For a Bryce Harper led team, and Bryce, I saw the. You see the thirty clubs in thirty days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Bryce is all in on this. He's, exactly, he's pumped. He loves Joe. Exactly. So I think it's a great fit. And Jack, I wouldn't be so. I think you're going to see a better Harper than you did a year ago. I do. I I think I will too. I think so. I'm not. Look, the MVP year that he had is a very difficult year for anybody to replicate, replicate but. Yep. Just just a significant improvement from last year, 20%, 30%, whatever it is, could give them a big boost in that lineup. And I'm excited to see this team. I think they're going to be a lot of fun to watch. And truly, without with all due respect to Gabe Kapler, I just, based on all the stories that I heard about this team going back to two years ago when the guys were playing Fortnite a ton, in September when the team was sliding and Carlos Santana smoked the TV. <laughs> yeah, he busts the TV. And so it's like, okay, here's a guy who has a veteran presence and is trying to take some type of leadership role and help this team sharpen up its focus. Well, what do they do? They trade him the next year. Uh, and the same sort of stuff, I think, in my opinion, that focus just didn't really seem to be as sharp Either the last two years, I think it's going to be a much more focused, much more disciplined team, but also a team that's having fun. I would agree with that. And I think just a couple small adjustments, you know, you see you touched on Harper being 20 percent better. Maybe Nola, you know, Nola wasn't an yeah. ace last year. Maybe he returns to ace form. Uh, you get a great number two season out of Wheeler. All of a sudden, you know, this is this is a really good baseball team realistically three teams have a shot at this division championship and it's this team and the two teams that we have yet to talk about now they could be a team that gets off to a good first couple of months but in order for them to stay in that hunt for first place the whole way through they're either going to need a bigger contribution for Jake Arietta and Eflin and Velasquez or they're going to have to go out and add another guy which could potentially happen if they're really pushing at that wild card or first place spot come July. Yeah, that was a discussion whether they would go out and get another starter. They didn't. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think Arietta is I – mean, remember, this is contract year now for Jake Arietta, so he's he might be pitching for that next deal. Um, it's a big season for him personally, and he's a really crucial piece for the Phils this season. Totally is. So they need – really, I think the pitching staff is the only thing that's holding them back. 
in terms of being my pick for this division. But I want to talk about the Nationals. And then I want to give you my Phillies projection because I'm still kind of determining which of these teams that I like more for a wild card spot. You waiting to hear my analysis? <laughs> yeah, you want to talk some? You want to do some national stuff and come back to the Phillies? Yeah, we could. Yeah, let's do it. Nationals won the World Series last year. What a story! That was that what was so a, fun. That was so cool. What a story! And <laughs> you know they get in in the wild. That, that's a wild card team, Jack. Yeah, and the Brewers had the lead on that team. It'll be fun to talk about the Brewers later this week when we do the NL Central stuff. But we were thinking as we were watching that game, oh, the Brewers are going to be the wild card team. That might be tough. They're leading this game, and they ended up choking it. Nationals never quit. They came back. They won that wild card game and ended up knocking off the Dodgers, sweeping the Cardinals, and delivering a World Series win that I think now in retrospect, is very satisfying for every baseball fan. <laughs> oh, no. no! Th- thank God they won. <laughs> it was justice. It, it had to happen. <laughs> yeah, thank God they won. But uh, Jack, they, they remind me so much, and I don't want to go here, but I'm going to. They remind me so much of the Mets. In, <laughs> and, 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 and let me explain myself. In, with the Mets... The talk is always if they can get into the postseason, you don't want to have to play DeGrom, Syndergaard, and whoever their three was. They were the same way last year. If they got into the playoffs, you did not want to see them in a series because of the Scherzer-Strasburg-Corbin combo. And when that happened, and sometimes, you know, it doesn't work out (laughs) with your big three. But, oh, my gosh, those it was a fantastic run from all three of those guys. And, Jack, we kind of saw Steven Strasburg take it to new heights in that postseason. Uh, he had a great year last year, um, but, wow, was he fantastic in that postseason run. Yeah, he was unbelievable. It was so cool to see that guy who – I know you collect baseball cards. you remember when his rookie card was just the most a very, valuable – very hot attraction. <laughs> yeah, when he was a rookie. Yep. And there was a reason why. And so to see him fulfill that – dream that the Nationals had for him when they picked him number one overall. I think it was a 2009 MLB draft, I want to say. Well, and remember, they held him out of that one postseason because the, yeah. he, had reached his, he had reached his innings limit. And it, yeah. was, it, it was viewed as a long-term move. What better way for a long-term move like that to pay off than winning a World Series? So it was complete. It was full circle. Everything. It was the perfect story for Steven Strasburg. And to be fair, he backed it up too. Man, he was he phenomenal. He was great. Their pitching staff looks to be just as good as it was last year with that three-headed monster of Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin. They end up giving Strasburg that big extension, which I'm happy to see he got. I'm glad he got to stay in Washington. It seemed he really wanted to be there. They made a couple of interesting moves. They did lose Anthony Rendon. They're going to roll with Carter Keboom at third base this year, who we can talk a little bit about in a second. And they added a guy that I was just talking about perform well under Joe Girardi, Starlin Castro. Nice little pickup on a another cheap contract. It was either a one- or two-year deal. He's a good player to have in your lineup. And other than that, they pretty much have the whole crew coming back, although I do think World Series hangover could be in effect with this team. I'm with you there. You touched on the – I did love the Castro move, though. because Just because, one, that's – he's extremely consistent. 
He's always kind of around a 270 guy. And along with that, he normally stays healthy. I think he's played 150 or more games in four of the last five seasons, Jack. Uh, so he's a guy who you can toss out at second base. You know what you're getting. Um, very, very good bat addition there. Um, but yeah, I agree with, I, I kind of like the way you let in there because I do think there is some potential here. Everything worked out perfectly for the nationals last year. Remember yeah. they got off to the horrible start <laughs> Yeah, and worked their way back. 31. Yep. Worked their you way back. You know what's funny, Jordan? Yep. <laughs> no, <laughs> the <I> Chicago <laughs> bears got off to that bad start last year. Oh no. And <laughs> oh no. Matt Nagy, their head coach, uh, was in a meeting talking about how the Nationals went 19-31 and 31 and won the World Series and how the Bears could do the same thing. Uh, sadly for them, I don't think that worked out for them. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, And Jack, they didn't like sneak in as a second wildcard team last year. They won 93 games. Yeah. They, you get off to that horrible start, you end up winning 93 games. Um, but again, I, I think everything kind of worked out last year. You had the health. I know Scherzer was a little banged up last year, but for the most part, their health was really nice. Like they didn't have any serious injuries to miss a huge amount of time. You got full seasons out of Rendon and Soto. Um, and, and Strasburg, I guess, is a, a very, because he's had some injury issues over the years. He finally put it all together. Um, I do see them, Jack, as a bit of a World Series hangover. You know, sometimes when teams win championships, and I think, I hate to bring you here, but, but I think the Cubs are a good example. <laughs> when the Cubs won the World Series, people were like, okay, this is the beginning. You know, this was, they're going to be contenders for the next two, three, four years. I don't. Maybe even more than maybe that. That's more, how a yeah, lot of people maybe, felt. Maybe more than that. I don't feel that way with the Nash, this Nationals team. I don't feel like this is like the opening of this window that they're going to be World Series contenders year in, year out. Now, you are getting some really early years of probably a top five guy for the next 10 years in Juan Soto. Um, and, I mean, they do have the star power in Scherzer and Strasburg. But to me, it feels like this team losing Rendon will hurt, I think, in a big way. That's an MVP bat you lose. Um, and... I, does this team have enough offense consistently to win 89, 90 games again? I'm just not sure. Yeah, I feel you. I mean, I think there's a lot of, it's such an interesting squad because they have a lot of veteran guys and they have a lot of guys who you look at Trey Turner, Juan Soto, potentially Carter Keyboom, Victor Robles, where it's like, these guys are the future. So it's, they're sort of stuck somewhere in between without a guy like Rendon kind of exactly. being the glue as the in-between superstar. I think they're really going to miss that. I think Soto is a brewing superstar. I think Robles and Keyboom are candidates for a bounce-back year. So I think there's a lot of potential. There's no way that I could see this team really falling off from last year. But I do think you you did mention this. A guy like Scherzer, a guy like Strasburg, if one of those two guys were to get hurt or both of them, which is a possibility considering age and history. I don't think this team is going to be able to continue to compete missing one or two of those guys. I would agree. Uh, I think, I think they have potential. Uh, I think the potential is clear, um, but I don't think this is a, I don't think they're going to be competing for this division. I think they'll be in the mix. But, I mean, okay. I think if we talk about three teams that realistically could win, could win it, this it, team yep. could win it. I would agree. I don't see I them don't winning see, it. Yeah, I don't see it, though. 
I'm still going between them and the Phillies for that second spot. I do want to talk about an interesting offseason story pertaining to the Chicago Cubs, the Atlanta Braves, and the Washington Nationals. You want to go down this road for a little bit? Let's do it. So this winter, the Cubs were floating Chris Bryant out in a lot of potential trade talks. He was he was getting tossed out there, a lot of trade rumors. Cubs tried to talk to the Nationals. That's what some reports and rumors indicated about potentially getting Carter Keboom and Victor Robles. The Nationals said, no way, we're not doing that deal. The Braves were in a similar type of situation where it seemed that the Cubs wanted Austin Riley and two or three potential top 100 prospects. I want to talk about, without going too far down this road, I want to talk about why these trades did not happen. And I think what you're seeing is that the Cubs were looking at, hey, we could try potentially buy low on one of these guys because Carter Keboom struggled last year mm-hmm. and Austin Riley struggled last year. And these other teams correctly were smart enough to see, no, you know what? We believe in these guys. We drafted these guys. We're higher on these guys than any other team is. Why are we going to sell low on them when they hit at some adversity and struggle? So I like the fact that these organizations are sticking behind their guys and not rolling over to make some type of deal. Personally, I don't even know if that'd be a great trade for the on the Cubs half because you are trading Chris Bryant, who's perhaps their best player that they've had without using PEDs since Ryan Sandberg. <laughs> <laughs> what about what about that second baseman in ninety eight? Oh yes, yeah. He was he was really good too. So I, probably Chris Bryant would be second behind. Yeah, that that's guy. fair. There you go. <laughs> I, I think I like where you're going. I, I think it's important to know too, though. If you make a deal for Bryant like that, you're essentially paying what is it a year and then his contracts? Is it a year? Or you two get two years? years. Okay, you get two years. Okay, so that does open a different question. That is, a, there's a window there. Um, yeah, but, but you are making a deal for if in the Washington Nationals case, two potential long-term starters in Robles and Keyboom for a guy you left for two years, and then you're going to have to pay the big bucks for it. Yeah, and the other fact, this is where economics come into the question. You and I have both started businesses in the past and worked in businesses. The thing is, what do we, what do we know about business? Supply and demand. There it Supply is. Supply and demand. Cubs were trying to trade a guy in an offseason that was crowded with a lot of third baseman options. Yes, all over the... <laughs> yes, stacked. <laughs> This was a very interesting offseason for third base, actually. There were yeah. more available than maybe ever. <laughs> yes, it was an interesting time to potentially consider trading Chris Bryant. Now, maybe the reports and all of the hype and the buzz we got from the media wasn't entirely accurate. Maybe they were trying to create talking points for this offseason. And very maybe well, part of it was the just, case. Yes. Yeah. Part of it may have also just been trying to scare Brian into signing an extension. So he will stay, but smart, I by think the it, Cubs, smart by the Cubs media there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think again, I, these teams were, I think smart to say, look, clearly no one, we're not really bidding against anyone for Chris Bryant. And this is something We'll talk a little bit about the Braves. The Braves potentially looked like they were the only team that really had an in in terms of maybe making this trade 
because they have so many prospects. And I, but I think I think with the Braves, they could basically say, "Look, we're not bidding against anyone. Why should we give the Cubs our best offer? Let's roll the dice, see what we have this year, and if we need that big bat, we make a trade at the deadline, and we can go and get it then." Yeah, I think that's a smart way to go about it too. If you're gonna make a deal for Brian, you're gonna have to give up some top guys like that. There were multiple. I think you mentioned this. Uh, makes sense why not just go grab one of those guys in the free agents uh, one of the free agents where you don't have to give up one of your potential everyday guys for the next five ten years however long these guys could potentially play exactly i think key boom is a guy to keep an eye on this year he was a top 100 prospect i don't know if he still is but he was like a top 50 guy last year got called up struggled a lot had a lot of strikeouts but he's he's gonna be interesting and robles too another guy who could I mean, contributed last year, but he he contributed last year, but the ceiling with that guy could be much higher than we saw last year. I would agree. Yeah, definitely, definitely some question marks, but I, there there is a lot. I think there's a lot to like still. Yeah, it could be it's a year not where they're reloading for the following year. We'll see. But to, yeah, they they have so many young bats. That very well could be. They actually, they kind of have a, a couple, like almost it's time to go veterans. Too, yeah, Ryan Zimmerman, Zimmerman, Suzuki. Suzuki. Yeah, this is a very weird mixture of guys. Yeah, and I'm with you. They're, I think they're missing that one piece, like that Rendon, that older star um, that you can kind of combo with Soto. Yeah, a guy who's right in the thick of his prime at around 28. Exactly. Yep, is going to be an MVP candidate, which. <laughs> They're losing a lot. But I will say the last thing on that subject, they lost Bryce Harper and the guy they, and he, this is again why I think, why should they think that they need to go out and get Chris Bryant? They lost Bryce Harper and the guy they replaced him with helped them win a World Series and was, he's a 20, 21 year old superstar in the making. Juan Soto is so good. We wouldn't have gotten to see Juan Soto in that role had, I mean, he he would have contributed in some form, but there wouldn't have been a place for him to play every day if Bryce was still there. So why they they must think the same thing about Carter Keboom? Maybe not to the extent of Juan Soto, but they think, all right, now it's time to plug him in and let him contribute. Hundred percent. Yeah, they lucked out in that. That doesn't happen often where you lose a guy no. is prime like that and you replace it with somebody potentially better that's 20 years old. Yeah. <laughs> that is a very rare occurrence, but hey, it worked out for the Nats. So last year, 93 wins. Where are they at this year? Their over-under is 89.5, so they do think this team is a little bit worse than they were a year ago. I think I'm going to go under here. Um, the, we talked about the, the top two at the rotation and a potential injury there. Um, if the, one of those two guys gets hurt, I think that really puts a damper on this team's expectations. If it's a, an extended period of time. And I don't think they're like, they're in a very good scenario where if, if any of those top guys have to miss any time that they have enough, uh, to kind of hang on for extended periods. I'm going to go 87. Ooh, you're very close to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking between 87, and 88. I, I think they're still a very good team. I think they're going to be in the mix for that wild card spot. I will put them at 88. Okay, that's fair. And they remember, they won 93 a year ago. Rendon is worth something. No doubt about yeah. it. Rendon is worth something there. So I think that yeah. it's, it's a pretty big loss to not have him there. 
And the Phillies over under total is what? 85 and a half? 85 and a half. Yes. I, I am going over. I am going over as well. And Jack, I talked myself into it. Like I mentioned, I may in the text. I'm going 90 <laughs> wins and I'm going a wild card berth for the Philadelphia Phillies. I'm going to go 89 wins. Okay. So that's one better than the national. So I guess I have uh, a wild card race coming down to the wire here. And remember a year ago, the second wild card spot in the NL was the Brewers at 89 wins. Yeah. All right. Well, let's give them that wild card. We'll see <laughs> who go. else gets one. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Man. So, so I think we're as, as we transition here, there's one team left. Are we about to agree on the division winner? Yeah, it sure is looking like it. You've come over, you've seen the light from last year. <laughs> Just one season too late. <laughs> <laughs> what do you like about the Braves, Jordan? Look, Jack, I, there's so much to like about this team. Yeah. Um, honestly, really like the moves they made over the offseason. Um, you lose Donaldson, who was, like we mentioned, a great signing on that one-year deal. Wow, did they get a great year out of him. Um, and now my big thing with them is I thought they did a great job. They didn't make the monster name moves, but I thought some, some of these small additions, they had three relievers, including Will Smith. And that was a yeah. pretty hefty contract, three year, 39 million. But I, I'm always a fan, Jack, of bulking a bullpen. Always. I, there's, it's very underrated often, but wow. Yeah. You, it, you see the dividends as years go on with some big, big time bullpens. I think the Braves are shaping to have a really, really nice bullpen. Um, and that can, that can save some things. Other things, other things they uh, did this off season, they lose Donaldson. Did they resign? Let's see. But then they make some small moves. The Hamels deal, which is a one-year deal, and actually it wasn't a small He's move. injured. Yes, he is currently injured. But, Jack, I'm going to yes. go into why this potentially could be okay for them. I don't think they made this deal for April, May, and June. <laughs> I don't. Correct. I think they made this deal for the potential playoff run. This is a team, Jack, and I think we both agreed on this last year. It's a team who had a fantastic season, but heading into the playoffs – I don't think either of us really saw this team as a big threat. And the big thing here is it's kind of it's always been their rotation. They have some really good, strong, young arms, but they're just not guys. You're not tr trusting them the way you're trusting the Scherzers and the Strasburgs, you know. Um, so I really wonder if this Hamels deal and maybe it was to keep him away from the Phils because the Phils were heavily connected to him. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I, I really just wonder if this was a deal that. I want a veteran arm in a swing game in a game three of a series or something along those lines, you know, um, after yeah. the top two, because they do have a really nice top two, one, two punch and in Soraka. And I believe Freed is their two guy now, but really it can go a couple different ways depending on who's having the good year, which has kind of been a question <laughs> yeah. mark for a lot of these guys. They kind of go up and down <laughs> all over the place with Fulton Evix and Newcomb in that mix as well. Um, but Jack, what are your thoughts? Is do you agree with me here where the Hamels move feels more like a move for a, a potential playoff run than one like, oh, we need Hamels to win ball games for us in April? Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, they lost Keuchel, so they're plugging that hole with Hamels, who is a little older than he is, but has had more success. Hamels. He's had some very good success in the postseason at times. Yes, I, re yes. I remember very, uh, <laughs> very clearly. <laughs> I think. 
you could, if they didn't do anything this offseason in terms of pitching with Soroka, Freed, Fulte, Newcomb, Kyle Wright, Bryce Wilson, just turn it over to all those young guys, I think they're still and you're fine. still probably going to win the division just with fine. the depth. Yep, I'm, I 100% agree. I think they're still fine. So I, But I think that's the thing. Looking at this team and what I, I truly think that this is the team that I look at as a clear two in the National League right behind the Dodgers. I do think there's, I, maybe not right behind the Dodgers, but I think they present the greatest threat to the Dodgers this season. And what I think they're going to need is I think they're going to need probably one more big-time pitcher in order for that to happen. Because we look at what won last year. You had a three-headed monster with what the Nationals had. Mm -hmm. The Astros on the other side did the same thing. And the Braves have the type of team that's great for 162 games, but is it great for five games, seven games, another seven? I'm not sure. And so I think Hamels helps with that. I think... You could see some progression from Freed. Soroka's a stud. Maybe he has a little bit of a step back from where he was last year, but he's here for the long run. That guy's going to be a stud pitcher and is the ace of this rotation. Fulte was up and down last year, but he was really good in one of those playoff games mm-hmm. last year. Yep. I think it was game two. I think those guys are all capable. I mean, you have guys who are capable of morphing into that having that three-headed monster, but I I think you need maybe one more guy that you can rely on and trust because you've seen him as a veteran in those big moments. And they're the type of team who I think, given how I I believe the first half's going to go, I would expect them to be active at the deadline and try and make make a move like that to add one of those veteran pitchers. Like a year ago, it's not going to be him, but, but like Bumgarner was the arm that the veteran arm that teams were potentially going to try and go after. And uh, Granky. Granky, yes. He could end up doing the same type. Of, well, it, it won't occur this way, but the Keuchel signing last year kind of worked out for them where they waited um, and ended up being able to sign him. And how about how well did that work out for them? He gave them a really nice yeah. season. Um, so, yeah, I would agree. Along with that, Jack, at some, time, at some point, these young guys are going to have to come up in the big moments. Uh, so, you, you know, we can continue to say it with this roster. And, yes, these are a lot of young arms. But at some point, you know, if these guys are as good as they're, they are, you're going to need them to be able to pitch and win those playoff games. So I, I do think, you know, a lot of them got experience a year ago. That could pay dividends this season. Other big moves this team made this offseason, Jack, they added Travis Darno and Marcel Azuna on a one-year deal. Yes. And this is kind of the classic Atlanta Braves one-year <laughs> yeah. deal, Jack. You get a career year from Donaldson. Mark Hakus was on a one-year deal a couple of years ago, got a great year. Or Jack, what are your thoughts on these two signings? The Darno one was a two-year 16. I believe Azuna was, what, one-year 17 or something along those lines. You know, the Darno one, I'm not crazy about, to tell the truth. I mean, I thought that this is, again, we talk about supply and demand in terms of what teams are looking for. And I think this move showed how much of a premium there is on catching and guys who can hit that are catchers because Darno struggles defensively. I wouldn't be surprised if Tyler Flowers ends up starting more games behind the dish than Darno does 
But Darno delivered for the Rays a lot down the stretch last year. They picked him up for free after the Mets DFA'd him. I don't know if that's more indicative of the Mets or the Rays. (laughs) 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 But, uh, you know, I think this showed, again, we talk about in terms of the Cubs, what, what you're trying to trade Chris Bryant. Maybe trade Wilson Contreras in terms of, you know, what are people needing? People need catching. So I thought that was a little bit of an overpay for Darno, but we'll see what the Braves get from him this year. I really like the Ozuna pickup, though. I mean, again, one-year deal. This guy used to be an elite defensive player. He's not that anymore. Injuries have sort of derailed him defensively. He's had a number of injuries. But you put him out in left field, and this was a good... I thought this was a creative little move, similar to what the Phillies did with... Okay, we have a need at third base, but we don't necessarily have to... Or we have an opening at third base. Mm -hmm. We don't have to go down that route in this crowded third base marketplace. So they go out, they get Ozuna, and they're going to look at Camargo and Austin Riley at third base. And personally, I want to see Austin Riley, similar to how I want to see Keyboom get that opportunity to play every day to start the year. That's what I want to see from Austin Riley, because Austin Riley in his first month last year, was setting the world on fire. I think he was batting 400. Yeah, he got off to that really good start, and along with that was hitting... Uh, he had some. He had a big power surge to open up that yeah. season as well. It was kind of... Um, I think it was compared to kind of the... Remember the Hoskins when he was initially called up? <laughs> yeah. And he had like the 17 home runs in a month or 17 home runs a little over a month. Yeah. <laughs> Something similar to that, but he, he did fall off. He got hurt about halfway through the season or a little after halfway through the season um, last year. But yeah, he was a really nice story there for a while for them. Yeah, so they sort of made that move in terms of, okay, we, we don't necessarily have to break the bank on Donaldson, but... We do need a bat, and we can find a place for him, and that's Ozuna. So they get him in left field, and I'm interested to see with this outfield. Clearly, Acuna is an everyday player. Ender Inciarte is finally healthy, it seems. We'll see. He was injured for much of last year, but I really like his game. He's so fast. He's a great defensive player. He can steal bases for you and lead off. He's a good leadoff man. They were without him down the stretch last year. So if they're able to get him back to what he has been in the past, I like him. I wouldn't be surprised if, similar to how some of these other teams may operate, maybe an NBA team where they're looking at, all right, we, we just want to be healthy for the playoffs. I wouldn't be surprised if Ozuna got some opportunities just to sit and Marcakis fills in. I'm, I think you'll see a combination of those three guys in those two spots with Acuna sliding over to center when he needs to. Yeah, and I mean, Mark Hickes has been incredibly consistent when he's played. Remember, he had that really nice year where he hit right around uh, 300 in 2018. And then a year... Made the All-Star team. Yeah, exactly. And then a a year ago, he he didn't play as much. Did he get injured? He had a short injury stint or... or, Yeah, they had a lot of injuries last year, which really, I think makes it impressive that they won a 97 last year yeah. but he's i mean he still hit 285 so a very consistent bat, bat and if nothing more a veteran bat off the bench that they can potentially use and the thing about this team jack this window is going to be open for a long time yeah it's gonna be, uh, when you get acuna and albies on the contracts that they got them on there is going to be 
a lot of space to make the plays that they've kind of consistently made year in, year out, which is these small little one, two year deals with these guys who end up giving them career years. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're paying Acuna uh, and Albies, not necessarily what they potentially should be getting paid given their production. You have all these young arms. I mean, this is a team that is going to be here for a while. And I know very well as a Phillies fan, um, this is a dangerous roster. And of course, Freddie Freeman's still here, Jack, and still producing at an elite level. Um, <laughs> yeah, it took us this long to get to Freeman yeah, and Albies. Somehow, some way, and along with not only his production year in, year out, he's also been very durable the last three out of the four years. Gosh, he, he is a menace um, at first base. Uh, <laughs> a, a very nice, respectful menace. Um There's just so much to like about this team. Um, I'm big on the. I think the Ozuna signing was fantastic. It's a great fit. Um, Again, he hit 29 homers a year ago. If he gives them 30 home runs out of left field with the rest of this lineup, oh, it's it's so dangerous. I think the Darnode was more of kind of a filler move. Um, I don't think it was necessarily needed, but it was probably something where eh, we think he's you know at least a small upgrade from Flowers. McCann retired too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So let's take the upgrade where we can get it. Get a, vet, a veteran type catcher. Um, he wasn't great last year, but he was decent uh, and probably decent enough to be the upgrade. So there's a lot to like, Jack. Jordan, yep. you mentioned this yep. team isn't going anywhere. They have five top 70 prospects. Don't go here, Jack. <laughs> and according to MLB Pipeline, four of them could be up this year. Christian Pache, number 13. In all of baseball, he's an outfielder. Number 26, Drew Waters, another outfielder. So they have a lot of outfield options. Ian Anderson and Kyle Wright, two pitchers. We've seen a little bit of Kyle Wright. I think he could start mm-hmm. the season. Rotation. He's been up before. He was up last year. Ian Anderson has not been brought up. He's number 37, Wright at 52. So I will, would not be surprised with this great surplus of all these prospects if a trade or two is made this year, just for the reason that there is enough room for all of them. If they're MLB ready, then you're going to have to move someone because you don't want to just put them on your bench or leave them in AAA for too long. That's prospect that you can cash in on. Now, maybe some of those guys they end up using and maybe they move a guy like Inciarte, but they have so many possibilities of what they can do with this roster so do not be surprised if they go in for who knows what bat is available. Maybe it's Arenado. Maybe that maybe that Arenado move. I was about to I was about to say because the, the prospects you name those aren't guys where you make you, you're not giving up the 13th overall prospect for a yeah. rental pitcher or something along those lines. That's the type where you're getting a star back in today's baseball. So um, yeah, that that. I wasn't overly aware of how good I knew it was good. I wasn't, I didn't know it was that good. Um, but yeah, I mean, give it, look at how much young talent they have on the team right now. That is a dangerous, dangerous situation. Um, and wow, what a way to like, at some point you'll lose Freddie Freeman. What a way to maybe be able to keep that production in another spot. Uh, just so many ways that this team can kind of hang around for a long time. This window, Jack, like I mentioned, it's not going anywhere. (laughs) <laughs> it is not. They another name that we didn't even mention. Another guy, Tuki Toussaint, 
has been a top 100 prospect in the past. He's come up and struggled a little bit. But he's another guy that you you can bring up and get some innings out of. They have so many guys like that. It's just, it's crazy. They have Felix Hernandez potentially making the starting rotation. Fun little spring training story there. There's so much to like about this team. Jack, it would be vintage Atlanta Braves to get like 2013 Felix Hernandez. King Felix. Yeah, King Felix. Oh my God, please no. All right, so last year, 97 wins. Where are they at this year? 90, did you say? Uh, oh, sorry, their projection, 90 and a half. 90 and a half, man. I would go down. way over. It has it down. Yeah, I mean, this is my division where I had the fills at 90 um, and a wild card team. I kind of right around that 97, I think. I don't know why. That's an interesting number. I, I don't see where the unless they think like, the Phillies are going to be better, which makes sense. But the Nats, I don't I don't know. That is a that's a, kind of a puzzling one. I'm going over. Yeah, I'm going over as well, significantly over. Maybe I think one thing that could be a factor, clearly they're not making these projections. It's a sports book to trap people. And so if they make the other teams, maybe it makes other teams more appealing by bringing down their total. And you get those big Mets fan bases or Philly fan bases or... Putting them for the division, you mean? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah, that's fair. Potentially. So that could be one thing if you're taking it as a projection. It's not a projection, but people can be misled. That's one thing. Another thing I will say, I'm pretty sure the NL East played the American League Central last year. Mm, Interesting. And the American League Central, as we know, last year, worst division in baseball. (laughs) Not great. (laughs) So you played several games against the White Sox, Tigers, and Royals. The Marlins might be a little tougher this year. So maybe that's where they're seeing where some of this is. But it's interesting because it's not like they're taking that into account for any of his other teams potentially dropping their win total significantly from last year. They only really have Atlanta taking that hit. Well, yeah, and you lose Donaldson and McCann, right? Those the, And Keuchel, but you yes. kind of fill that with Hamels potentially. Um, yeah, interesting. And you add Azuna. So, uh, yeah, eh, I'm going over. I'm going to say they win. They won 97 a year ago. I'll go 96 this year. Yeah, I think they're somewhere between 96 and 98. So I guess I'll say 97 then. It (laughs) seems like that 97 from last year, it's just dead on. (laughs) Seems like it's a good fitting one. But I guess, you know what? I won't be boring. I'll, I'll go 98. Let's not have the same one from last year. (laughs) (laughs) They beat their win total by one. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. 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 That's not exciting podcasting. Yeah. But I mean, look, would I be surprised if their win total was 92, 93, but it still gets the division wrapped up? Not at all. Well, yeah. And I think along with that, we haven't touched on it yet, apart from when I was just making the intro, but I think the bullpen, their bullpen will be better too. They went out and made some nice bullpen moves. Um, And those are the type of moves that pay dividends over a long 162-game season. Absolutely. So I have this team as the second best team in the National League this year from a record perspective. Are you on board with that? Um, Yes, I believe so. Yeah, I think my central division winner will just be a notch under them. Yeah. Okay, so would you say... Do you agree with me that this is the potentially the biggest 
obstacle that the Dodgers will have to overcome in the National League play? On a talent level, yes. But again, I still have big questions about that rotation come playoff time. Yeah. So I'd have to see if they make a deal at the deadline, maybe for another veteran that they can toss in there. Um, but for example, like, you know, St. Louis or, you know, any of those really central teams, whichever of the four, <laughs> there's five, but whichever of the four get in, um, <laughs> I think could potentially be very similar as a threat um, in, in a series just because some of them have better arms. Yeah, I, I get you. And I guess the other thing that is working against the Braves, they have not won a playoff series since 2001. And in the time since that last happened, the other four teams in this division have all played in a World Series. Wow, that's a great one. And what, three of them have won it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, three of them have won it. Marlins. Yep. Nationals. Yep. And the Mets. The, the Mets was the uh, 2000, what was that, 15? 15, yeah. Yeah, that's when they smoked the Cubs at Wrigley. Right, <laughs> <laughs> I was at one of the games. That's really yeah, I was at that up. game too. It was not oh, fun. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, Cespedes hit the bomb. Oh, there were a lot of bombs. There yeah. was Murphy. It was oh, like, Murphy oh my gosh, too. yeah, very different times. <laughs> very, <laughs> very different. 2015 was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jordan, this was so much fun talking about the NL East. Thanks for having me as always, Jack. Yeah, really looking forward to talk to Central. That That is always one of the more fun divisions to discuss with you, so it's going to be a fun one. Well, folks, that concludes my conversation with Jordan Morandini from a month ago. Back here, it's Jack from the future, and we are making the best of things right now, despite the fact that there's no sports, despite the fact that Some of us have lost our jobs, including myself. We will get through this time. God will bring us through it. I know it, and I I know it's the truth. We will, as Jordan mentioned, we will get to the National League Central and the National League West. Not entirely sure when. Still sort of figuring out this podcast on the fly for the time being. It's Weird to plan stuff and not really know what the sports calendar is going to look like or when it will resume. I plan so many of these shows in advance knowing what the schedule looks like and looking at the schedule and using the sports calendar to plan my own schedule. So I've been thrown for a loop for a little bit, but I hope all of you have enjoyed the podcast content coming out during this quarantine period. I spoke with Reem Daly from Survivor Edge of Extinction last week. was a great time. Also did a podcast episode on Happy Gilmore, did one on High School Musical a couple weeks back, and I also did one on the most disappointing teams of the 21st century, as well as a March Madness, what would have happened if we had March Madness this year. I was crushed when March Madness was canceled. Coming up next week... I intend to have a sports trivia challenge show. You're going to want to listen to that one. I will be competing against a few other folks in a sports trivia game show, and we will find out who the winner is, who knows the best when it comes to sports trivia. That's something that you can play along from your home as you listen to this podcast. As we all stay safe and stay positive, Stay great, my friends. We will get through this time. 
Subscribe to The Jack Vita Show on Apple Podcasts. Leave a nice five-star rating and review. Goes a long way promoting the podcast. I really appreciate it. I want to start reading some of the five-star reviews on here when I get a chance to look for that in the future. But please subscribe. Please leave a rating. Thank you so much to everyone who has done that. You can follow me on Twitter at Jack Vita Show. Until next time, I'm Jack Vita. Bring in the dancing lobsters.